Hosea chapter 6 is one of the most amazing chapters in the whole Bible. And I kind of want to read the whole chapter to you because I think it's important to get this in context. And so we're going to kind of go back and forth. And so look what we read in Isaiah 6 and verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, that's 735 B.C., right around there, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And it was an exalted throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Now, it's the only place in the Bible where we read about seraphim. And each one had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so that was like the vision that Isaiah saw. And as these uh, seraphim are yelling, holy, 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 they're saying it to each other. You know, these columns right here, whatever, the doorposts, they were shaking. And it was just filled with smoke. And it was basically a vision of the glory of God. And so when Isaiah saw it, it says um, in verse 5, so, so I said, woe is me. For I am undone. In other words, I'm, I'm a dead man. I'm about to die because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of the captain of God's army. I mean, this is, uh, he saw the Lord, he thought he was going to be dead. And then what ends up happening though is then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and with it he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And so he says in verse 8, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Well, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Now in the Hebrew language, he's not just like, Oh, Lord, I come over here. In the Hebrew language, he's like, Me, me, Lord, send me. Me, it's when it is in the Hebrew language. It's really exciting. So I want you guys to know that because it's important. He says, here am I, send me. It's okay. Thank you. It's just Ryan. So, all righty. And though, and so the Lord, he's, here am I, send me. And then he said, and he said in verse nine, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And then I said, well, Lord, how long should I do that type of ministry? It's the type of ministry where no one's going to listen. He's going to be preaching, people are going to be falling asleep. He's going to be preaching, no one's going to be listening. How long should I be doing that type of ministry? That's what Isaiah says, weird, people's hearts are going to grow hard. And then he says right here, well, you're going to do it until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the land has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. He says, do it until it's done. That's how long you're going to do ministry until the Lord comes, basically. And we're going to see in Israel, 
that he says to them there would be a ministry to them till 586 B.C. when the Babylonians would come in and wipe out the land. Then there's going to be a tenth left. There's a remnant that returns, but even they're going to get judged. Look what it says, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, and so the holy seed shall be its stump. And so it's an amazing chapter, it really is. I think it begins with the exaltation of God. And so I believe, you guys, that we all have a calling. Every single one of you here has a calling. You have to tell somebody about Jesus, okay? If you don't like it, then something's wrong. If you don't catch that vision, something's wrong. It may be your kids, and that's an awesome ministry. I mean, they say that the hand that the rocks the cradle rules the world. And so some of you moms, so amazing the way you poured into your kids. It may be your sons for some of you dads. It may be people that you work with. That's how I got saved. I got saved because somebody in my job invited me to church service. It might be your neighbor. You know, I don't know. It, it might be your call to be a missionary. It might be your call to be a pastor, a leader, a teacher. I don't know. But God knows, and you should know. We should know there's this calling. And so w- the question is, will we answer that call? Or will we do our own thing? You know, because I tell you what, there is a million other things to do in this nation that we live in. You can do a million other things. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you told somebody about the things of the Lord? We all have that call, every single one of us. And so this, though, is kind of cool because you got to do it this way. You have to do it this way. This is how the call answers. It begins with the exaltation of God. And we saw that in verse 1 and in verse 2 how it was the year that King Uzziah died. And again, like I said, probably 735 B.C., and Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, you guys might remember, you should remember that Isaiah prophesied he ministered during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So those four kings we saw in Isaiah chapter 1. And then, you know, we don't know for sure when he started. It could have been early on in Uzziah's reign, And maybe he was prophesying for a while. We don't know for sure. All we know, though, is that when Uzziah died, then Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And so some people speculate, and we can't speculate too much about this, but some people speculate that maybe Isaiah was worried because Uzziah was a great king. He was a great king. And it would be like if we had a great president, this great president, and then the day comes and he dies. And then maybe, you know, you're, you're wondering, well, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? King Uzziah is dead. This guy was an inventor. This guy was an amazing military man. Under his leadership, the nation prospered. And Isaiah, who knows how it was when those two, and, you know, maybe he was worried. But, you know, the Lord said, when I, the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord was on the throne and I think for us, it's important. I mean, we want good politicians. Don't get me wrong. But you got to know Jesus is still on the throne. King Isaiah died. But now, you know, when you really peel back everything, King Jesus is still on the throne. 
You know, and maybe, who knows, maybe Isaiah was being worried about it, and God said, no, I want you to see something very important. You know, I'm still in control. You know, you know, the President Biden's not in control. Governor Newsom's not in control. God says, I am in control. And we have to understand that. That doesn't mean we don't do our political maneuvers. It doesn't mean that we pray, and, you know, we do political stuff in order to try to get godly leaders in office. I think that's part of our responsibility. But ultimately, let's just say, you know, it doesn't work out the way that we want it to. May God comfort us with the fact that he is still on the throne. And he saw that the Lord is there high and, and lifted up. And the train of his robe, it says, filled the temple. So if you can visualize a really high throne, and you guys know what a train is, right? You guys, maybe you've seen the, the ladies in the wedding and they have a long train. Well, this would be one that would fill the entire temple. Now, the train was in reference to the majesty, the glory of that king, depending on how long that train was. And so this is just really showing how awesome God is. And as he's there, above it are these seraphim, and they're amazing creatures. They have six wings. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. Some say that that's in reference to humility, humility. But then the flying and the, and the speaking are in reference to service. And I'll tell you what, it's kind of true. I mean, if we're going to praise the Lord, if we're going to serve the Lord, we have to have that combination of humility, but then, you know, service. I'm going to go. I'm going to fly wherever God wants me to fly, and I'm going to say whatever he wants me to say. You know, we have cherubim in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 1. They have four wings. They're different. Um, seraphim, we see here, have six wings. There are creatures in Revelation that have six wings. I don't know all the details about those things, but I do know when we get to heaven one day, we're going to see all these amazing creatures and we're going to trip out. Here they are, and as they're above the throne, they're just crying out loud, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How many of you guys like loud music? I'm just curious. Do you guys like it loud? Remember those days when we had those big speakers? Nowadays, we don't have them. We don't need them, I guess. But man, the days, I used to have big speakers and if we bumped it really loud in here, we could probably make these columns shake, huh? We probably could. But all I know is this is probably beyond that. I mean, these seraphim are just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, just in case you didn't know, you look out at anything on the earth, these beautiful whatever it is, a hummingbird, a mountain, a sunset. I mean, you look at it, all the, the whole earth, the people, children, music, food, everything. It's filled, it's flooded with the glory of God. You know, and so Isaiah, as he goes, and it could be, maybe it was that he went literally into the temple and he saw the Lord and no one else did. Maybe it was him somewhere else at home. He had this vision. We don't know. All I know is that as he saw this vision of God, it was just so amazing what God ended up doing. Here we see in, in, in all reality that as they're there and they're crying out to one another, holy, 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 probably in reference, we wonder why did they say it three times? Uh, probably in reference to the fact that you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, or it just may be that it's emphasizing it, you know, in the Hebrew or the Greek, whenever they wanted to emphasize something, they would just say it repeatedly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He didn't say love, love, love. Because some people say, well, that's God's you know, overriding attribute. No, it's not. Holiness is. Love you know, is an amazing attribute of God, but understand his holiness. And this is why these seraphim are saying, holy, holy, holy 
is his overriding attribute. And we have to get an understanding of that. You want to answer the call, whatever it might be in your life, if you don't have a good grip of God's holiness, then we're not going to go far. Because you got these guys, sometimes these pastors, and they're over there, and they're preaching, and they're doing other things because they don't understand that God is holy. You have to, we have to have an understanding of how holy God is. And that's why it starts there. I think the calling of Isaiah is something that we can all take to our own hearts. It starts with the holiness of God and is emphasized here as this overriding attribute. And as they're there, what ends up happening is Isaiah sees this, he feels it, he realizes it, and then for, you know, I, I think what ends up happening, and you guys, we've never been there fully the way that Isaiah is, but it, what would happen if we were in the presence of God? What would happen if Jesus right here appeared right here? What would we do? How many of you think we'd give him a fist bump? Hey, Jesus, good to see you, man. High five, Lord, no way. We would be all flat on our face on the ground. And, and you know, that's just, when, when you see it, you see Job. You know, here's this guy, Job. He was a blameless man, upright, feared God, shunned evil. I mean, he was so awesome. Job was so awesome that God bragged about him to the devil. I mean, that's how awesome Job was. None of us are anywhere near Job, but when Job saw the presence of God, he said he repented and he abhorred himself in dust and ashes. If we ever have a true experience of the presence of God, it will always begin with conviction. Conviction, and that's what happened with Isaiah. You know, Isaiah, up to this point, when you read Isaiah chapters 1 through 5, we saw it, he gave six woes. Woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. He's all saying all these woes, but now when he's in the presence of God, he says, woe is me. Because as he's there, he realizes his own sin. Woe is me, he says, because I'm undone, verse 5, verse 4, because I'm a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. You know, it's been said that the closer you get to God, the more you realize how far away you are. Now, there might be some people here who think, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I got a good heart. I know the Bible. I'm humble. You just mess yourself up. <laughs> Whatever it might be, you know. And I, I don't drink, and I don't smoke, and I don't run, and I don't chew with those I used to. And, you know, you just got all this stuff, and... It doesn't matter. The best of men are men at best. Any man, any woman, I don't care how good and godly you might think you are. When we get into and we start comparing ourselves to God, this is exactly how we will feel because of who we are. I always tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what I haven't done. I'm sorry for who I am. Because I have to constantly say, don't look there. Constantly say, don't think that. I constantly say, don't, don't say that. I have to constantly do that. You want to know why? Because I'm a sinner. So as you're going into the callings, you're going into ministry, whatever it might be, it has to begin first with that exaltation of God, but then the conviction of man. Lord, I know who I am. And so, you know, the cool thing about the Lord, because I believe any true experience with God will bring you conviction, it, it doesn't end there. Verse 6, it says, And then when that happened, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, more than likely it's the altar, uh, the bronze altar, where they would sacrifice all the animals uh, for the sins of the people. They took one of those uh, coals, and he took it, and he touched my mouth with it, 
And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. That's how we then begin to understand how this works. God is holy. God is holy. He is pure. He is separate. He is light. He is without sin. There's not a trace or shadow of darkness in him, and I am as black and dark as it can possibly be. You'll see that when you, when you start comparing yourself to Jesus and stop comparing yourself to other people, and you see that, but then you see something else, that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. He died for our sins. He paid the price. He shed his blood. He suffered. He was tortured. He was forsaken by his Father. He did all the work. He went to the holiest of holies, and he paid the price. They put him in a grave. He rose again, and now when you and I when we admit, I'm a, I'm a wretched, wicked, terrible man, I need Jesus. That's what Isaiah said, I'm convicted, I'm done. Then it's like, that's where the Lord will meet you. And, and, and he took this coal, and he just took away his sins. Now, you guys think about it, even though we're all messed up, we're all messed up. God, when he looks at you, he sees no Sin. There's no sin there. There's no sin because you're a believer. He took it away. And the devil tries to bring it back. And the devil tries to condemn you. And the devil tries to beat you down. But no, you belong to Jesus. There is no sin because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do, not because we deserve it, but because we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. It call from the altar, it comes and it cleanses us. Now some say, maybe Isaiah had a problem with profanity, or maybe he had a problem with gossip, or maybe he had, even John Corson, you read his commentary, he says, maybe Isaiah had a problem with negative speaking. I mean, you name it. Whatever it was, there's something going on with his lips. Maybe you read Isaiah, and I don't know, it had to do with the fact that he was prophesying with self-righteous you know, language. I don't know. All I know is that was his thing. What's your thing? We all have something. Some of us have multiple things, huh? And all I know is that it's so cool to know that God does not deal with me like that. God has, has forgiven me of my sin. Isaiah 118, we read it earlier. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and scarlet is like as bad as it can be, right? Though they shall be as white as snow, you shall be as clean and white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God has washed us away. You're clean. Don't you? It's so cool to know I'm clean. Psalm 103 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as they removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Does anybody know? I mean, you know, um, the east. You just keep going, it's the vanishing point. They're gone. Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Hebrews 10.17 tells us that God remembers our sins no more. And so this is how, how it works. Like, do you tell people about Jesus? Do you want to tell people about Jesus? Do you realize that you're calling to tell people about Jesus? Some people, they don't care. They don't do it. They don't really interested in it. They got other things to do. And so whatever it is, they want to enjoy life. They want to have a good time. They want to just do their own thing. And they don't have a burden for the loss. They don't have a burden. The reason probably is because they don't know the holiness and the exaltation of God. They don't know their own sin. And they just they still kind of not in tune with the fact that God's washed them. 
Look at what God has done for us. I think when those things just begin to hit home, how holy God is. He's not the dodger in the sky. How holy God is, how unholy we are, and yet he's reconciled us to himself. You know, these are things when they hit home, man, he's forgiven me. And so as this happens, Isaiah hears a conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in verse 8. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Imagine that. God is up there and God is having that conversation and I believe he still is having that conversation. How many people have not heard about the Lord? How many people have not heard the gospel from somebody who really cares and who can really articulate it in a way that is pure? You know, accurate, you know? How many people? You got others that are knocking on doors, man. They're cults. They don't even know the gospel. You got these other guys that are traveling all over the country on their bicycles and their white shirts and ties, and, and they're doing more for the lie than we are doing for the truth sometimes. It's really cool when you see people who are burning for the Lord. So here's God, and he's just like, whom shall we send? Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, there's, notice the word us. I don't know if it's capitalized in your Bible, but basically it's because the translators were knowing that's in reference to God. God's not having a conversation with his angels. God's having a conversation between the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? And as Isaiah hears that, like I said in the Hebrew language, he's all, me, Lord, me. I'll go, I'll go. And, then, and that's, that, I guess that's where we are tonight. And I think that you can even answer the call, but then you forget that you answered the call, so you almost have to renew that commitment. You know, when you look at it, I think you have this revelation, and then you have this conviction, and then you have this question, and then you have the option. Who will go? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go to the other side of the world. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to, like I said, be a full-time pastor or missionary. Maybe it will be. But I know there's somewhere that God will send all of us. The only question is, are you willing? Are you willing? You can say no. You can say no. You can say no verbally. No, I don't want to do what the Lord wants me to do. Because Some have said that. I won't say yes because he might send me to Africa. Have you guys heard people say that? I won't say yes because he might send me to Africa. You know, all I know is wherever God will send you, you're going to be most satisfied doing that which God wants you to do with something he made you to do. But it all begins with, yes, Lord, I lay down my life. You know, that's what Isaiah heard, and, and he answered that calling. H.A. Ironside said, he is still calling for consecrated men and women to carry the offer of salvation and the warning of judgment to a lost world. Such must know for themselves the cleansing power of the blood of Christ if they would give effective testimony to those still in their sins. So we have to carry the offer of salvation. We have to carry the warning to the world. I wonder if any of you guys have ever made that commitment. I was thinking about Pastor Chuck Smith when he was 17 years old and he was at a, a youth camp. And he kind of wanted to be a doctor. That was kind of something that he wanted to do. Nothing wrong with being a doctor if God, that's what God wants you to be, do. To do. But, you know, then the Holy Spirit just started talking to him and just telling him, well, if you're a doctor, you heal people physically, but it's only temporarily. But as God began to call him into the ministry, he said, well, if, you, if you're a pastor, 
then you heal people eternally. God will use you as a vessel to heal people eternally. And when he was 17 years old, he said yes to the Lord. And God would use his life, man, in such a tremendous way. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, then, if God did this glorious thing with Pastor Chuck or God did this glorious thing with Isaiah and calling them into the ministry, then I'm sure it was easy, right? I'm sure it just went all smooth and easy and, and everything. Well, it's interesting because Pastor Chuck, I mean, the Lord just blessed and the fruit was there and it was evident. It took about 17 years to go through the refiner's fire. But Isaiah, it never really happened. Isaiah, it, from all human perspective, you would think this guy wasn't really all that successful. How would the ministry be for Isaiah? Well, this is what the Lord says in verse 9. Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, as you go, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and you're going to shut their eyes. They're not going to be interested. They're going to sleep. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. I mean, when you look at this, it sounds weird. But, but the reason is, is God, God doesn't force us. I want to turn to a couple of passages in Matthew chapter 13, because it almost sounds like the Lord was like hardening their hearts himself. But, but no, it wasn't the Lord hardening their hearts. Look at Matthew 13. And in verse 14, as Jesus is speaking about the people, it says, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes, notice, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And so sometimes people, they go to a Bible study, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. It doesn't hit them. It doesn't hit them. You want to know why? Because their hearts are closed. They're not open. You know, they've closed their own eyes. They've closed their own minds. They've hardened their own hearts. And then eventually what happens is this, and you guys got to understand this, because if you can hear my voice, and if you can understand me right now, then that's not me. That's God. If you can understand spiritual things, that's not man. That's God. Because when the Lord is in it, you know, there's that opportunity for us to be able to take it in and to be able to grow and to be able to hear. But, but when we begin to harden our hearts or when our eyes are closed or when God's not in it, then you're not going to understand. So what I would say to you is this, call on the Lord while he may be found. What I would say this is if there comes a time where basically you're preaching to people and, they, and then they wouldn't listen when they, they had the opportunity, then the day might come where what ends up happening is they won't be able to. You know, it'll, it'll come eventually where it, it ends up like that. The people would not listen. So eventually the day came when they could not listen. 
You know, some people say, oh, I'll just do it later. I'll just get right with God later. I'll just, you know, I'll sign up for ministry, you know, maybe in a month or so when all the ducks sign up in a row or whatever it might be or whatever. I don't know. And all I'm saying is, you guys, we can't do this. We have to respond now. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but while we're in the Gospels, go to John chapter 12. Because I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but but do you know who Isaiah saw? Do you know who, who did who did Isaiah see in Isaiah chapter six? The Lord high and lifted up. Who did he see? Jesus. That was Jesus before the incarnation. Look what it says here in John chapter twelve. But although it says in verse thirty seven, he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. We just read that in Isaiah. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. And so you look at Jesus, and I don't know what you know your perception is, and we have these different um, you know, paintings and stuff. Uh, I don't know. He's a man. But man, before his incarnation, we've got to understand he was the Lord high and lifted up. And so the Lord says, okay, Isaiah's all, send me, send me. I want to do it. I want to do it. And God says, okay, just want you to know they're not going to listen to you. And Isaiah's, okay, well, how long do I have to do this? And then we read it again in verse 11. He answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. You know, you just keep preaching, Isaiah, until judgment comes. And that's what would happen to the nation of Israel, and that's what's going to happen to the United States of America. There's no doubt about it. All right, you know, there's no doubt about it, you guys. We're already falling. We're already falling. We're already experiencing so much of the judgment of God. You know, we live in this amazing country, but we have turned our backs on God. And, you know, you can blame it on the world if you want. Oh, the world is so bad. The world is so bad. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, maybe it is that way. Maybe there's a dichotomy that we just are not aware of, but a lot of it has to do with the church because the church is the salt, the church is the light. If the church was sold out, surrendered, completely committed, I think we can make a bigger impact in the world. So, I don't know. Be careful pointing fingers. For me, I'm like, okay, Lord, I know judgment is coming. We're already seeing it. I don't know what's going to happen in Afghanistan now. But it's like, man, the Taliban just came in in a matter of just days, man. Just They undid everything we've done for the last 20 years. Now, you might say, well, it's you know this, that, and the other. Well, maybe it's God. And, you know, they don't have to stop there. When you read the Bible and you read how God judged nations, I mean, it, he might use the Babylonians. He might use the Muslims. All I know is we've got to be right. And so he says in verse 13, yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed 
shall be its stump. And so there's a tent. There's like a, they're going to get wiped out in 586 B.C., 722 B.C. The uh, northern kingdom was taken away. They came and they put hooks in their mouths. They cut off limbs. They would gouge out eyes. They impaled all the leaders and they stacked them all up like a big pyramid in front of the city gates. And the Assyrians wiped them out. You would figure the southern kingdom would learn from that, but they didn't. The Babylonians came and they just devastated the city. And so um, you read chapter 6 and the Lord is just saying, hey, Isaiah, this is how the calling goes. And for us, I think it's the same thing. I do pray, you guys, if the Lord is coming soon, and I think he is, that the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you with a heart for him. The Lord will bless you with just trying to discover, develop, and deploy your gifts, trying to figure out where you are in the body of Christ and do it faithfully because that's what Isaiah did. Now we have his writings and we're still able to glean from that. But, but we're going to see in chapter 7 another individual. I think it's kind of focused on this guy Ahaz. And there's some really cool promises in here. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, they went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And so if you want to read the background here, you can read 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles 28. And basically you find these two nations, Israel and Syria, they're coming against Judah, but they're not able to penetrate Jerusalem. Now, if you read those other sections, it's crazy, you guys. Um, they did kill 120,000 um, Jews from the southern kingdom in one day. And they did take 200,000 prisoners. And so they were taking them up, and then the Lord had them release them. But Judah was devastated, but not Jerusalem yet. So these are the things that they're beginning to experience, right? They couldn't prevail against Jerusalem. And so in verse 2, it says, It was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. That's another name for Israel. And so they're gathered together, Syria and Israel, and they're coming against Jerusalem. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They were afraid. That's basically what he was saying. They're afraid. They're afraid. And so have you ever been there? Will you ever been there? How, will you be afraid? You know, um, that's kind of something I think that our nation is definitely facing right now. People are afraid of the virus. Um, we do see, uh, you know, there are different things. There are people dying. There are. But are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? We shouldn't be afraid. You know, if I get sick all of a sudden and one day I'm wondering, oh, Lord, which way am I going to go, this way or that way, we don't have to be afraid. We've got nothing to be afraid of except the only valid fear is the fear of God. Anyways, here's these guys. They're afraid. And so if you're not careful, your fear will move you to do something outside of the will of God. And that's what ends up happening here. Look what happens in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, okay, so the king is afraid, you know, king... Um, Ahaz is afraid. The people are afraid because these two nations are coming against them. So then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub. And his son, it names him, the remnant shall return. At the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, take heed. 
And in other words, listen, settle down, be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, hey, let's go up against Judah and trouble it, and let's make a gap in the wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of uh, Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. Ahaz was one of the most wicked kings Judah ever had. Ahaz caused his sons to go through the fire. They would take their children, they would put them in this burning uh, statue of Molech, and they would offer them, they would burn their children. Ahaz was a wicked king. It says, as a matter of fact, it explicitly says in the Bible that he caused moral decline in the nation of Judah. So you guys know that Uzziah was a good king. His son Jotham was a good king. And so they were kind of like on a roll, but then what happens is fool Ahaz comes into power and he was a horrible king. But now Isaiah is reaching out to him. Isaiah is trying to, to bring him to the Lord. Isaiah goes to him and he says, you know, hey, I, you don't worry about Syria and, and Israel. They've come together against you. Man, they're going to die in two years and in 65 years. I mean, Israel's going to be taken away, the, the, the 10 tribes. And, and, and so he says, don't worry about them. He says, God has got this. And I believe it was the Lord trying to, to reach out to him. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You know, and, and so we read in verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. And, and this is what he tells Ahaz. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. You know, it's interesting, in, in verse 8, he says the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. In other words, he's saying they have a human uh, city as their capital. They have a human king as their king, that's their head. But you have Jerusalem as your capital and you have Jesus as your king. That's their head. This is, but, but, but God is on our side. And so the Lord is trying to reach out to Ahaz and, and he says, and, then, and for me, it's so cool. You know, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Now, it doesn't mean that God was not about to do the things he said he was going to do to those two kings because they both did die in two years or to the nation of Israel because it was taken away in 722 BC. But we know that what God is talking about right here is what would happen to Ahaz personally. If you don't believe, then you won't be established. And that's important for us to have that heart, you know, to believe the prophets, to believe uh, the Bible. You know, we read in verse 10, moreover, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or or in the height to come. Now that's a Hebrew merism, meaning anything. You can ask anything, anything you want. I'll give it to you as a sign. Now some people say, well, why did Isaiah offer him a sign? Just to strengthen his faith. 
We see the same thing that happened to Hezekiah when Hezekiah received the promise with Isaiah. Isaiah's like, well, what sign do you want? He's all, it's a sundial. How about if we make it go backwards 10 degrees? I mean, that would be like the earth, you know, rotating in a different direction. I mean, God can do anything. And if he had the sign, then it would kind of establish his faith. But what ends up happening is King Ahaz doesn't want it. Look at verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He's asking, he's offering, he's He's acting all self-righteous. And he said to me, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So real quick, um, basically what we find is that Ahaz, when you read 2 Kings 16, what he did was he hired the Assyrians to deal with these two nations rather than just trusting God. He stepped out in the arm of the flesh. And we have to be so careful. If I wanted to, I could manipulate things. If I wanted to, I could say, hey, let's do this and that, and we'll kind of gather a crowd or maybe more, make more money or whatever it might be. And, and, you know, there are a lot of churches, a lot of pastors like that. No, just teach the word, just pray, and let's see what God does. There's a lot of people that step out in the flesh, a lot of people. Ahaz did that. He didn't just trust God. And what ended up happening was he got in trouble. He wouldn't take the sign, and Isaiah said, okay, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyways, that a virgin's going to give birth, uh, and they're going to call his name Emmanuel. And what we find when you read prophecy is it's twofold. Number one, there's an immediate application that's, that's partial fulfillment, but the primary fulfillment will be down the road. You guys know who this is in reference to, right? It's Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, we, he quotes this verse as saying it's in reference to Jesus. The fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, which talks about how one day the virgin, that seed, would be born. And, and so in Isaiah's day, you know, um, Ahaz would be walking, and then he's, he meets this little boy or whatever, and then, hey, what's that little boy's name? Oh, his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, really? Oh, when was he born? Oh, yeah, just, you know, a year ago, a couple of years ago. That would be a sign to him. That would be a sign to Ahaz. But then for us, it's a sign to the world that of a virgin, Mary, Jesus would be born. And I love, and I just love what, what, it, what he says and his name will be called Emmanuel. And you're like, well, wait a minute. His name is Jesus. What do you mean Emmanuel? Well, it's because we know that when Jesus came to earth, it was God with us. And I want to encourage you guys in that. No matter what you're going through, um, as you find yourself facing challenges, sometimes you're feeling it, sometimes you're not, just to know that God is with you. God. You know, it's more important, you know, sometimes, you know, like when we're talking about Isaiah seeing the Lord in the year that Uzziah died, you know, you're like, well, I need him. I need him. Well, cool. God has people in our life that he uses, but sometimes you don't realize that God is all you need until he's all you have. And so God is with us. I'll tell you a real quick story. The other day we we're in our music fellowship and one of the young girls told us this story. She was blown away at how um, she said that Monday she was in her bedroom and she saw um, this little, um, what are those little inha inhalers? You guys know what those inhalers? Personally, you know, I'm just joking. 
<laughs> you know those inhalers, right? And she said, I don't know why, but I've had this inhaler on, on top of my dresser ever since I can remember, and I don't remember ever using it. I don't remember ever using it. But she said, apparently when I was younger, I had asthma. And so this thing's been sitting on my dresser or whatever. It's been in my life for who knows how long. She said, but for some reason, like I felt like, like, like it was telling me to take it today. So after all these years of not ever, never remind, remembering whether or not she had ever used it, she put it in her backpack and she came to uh, school on Monday. And guess what happened? She had an asthma attack. And so she pulls out her thing, you know, and she just takes it in. And then this is amazing how personal God is. He's with us. And you want to know something Hebrews 13.5 says? He will never leave us nor forsake us. Does that encourage you? It should. That's who's with us. Jesus is with us. And you're like, well, Manny, I don't know about me because I'm pretty bad Listen, we're all very bad. We've already covered that. He's with you. He's with you because you have placed your faith in him. I hope that encourages you. It's important for us to know that. And as we're looking at the sign, it says in verse 15, curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, some versions say butter. Some say cottage cheese, curds. We don't know for sure. Something like that. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. So it's just a matter of years. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the cliffs of the rocks and all the thorns and all pastures. In the same day, the Lord will shave with hired razor with those from beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head of and the hair of the legs and will also remove the beard. That's very, very shameful in those days and it shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep and so it shall be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds for curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land it shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver it will be for briars and thorns Assyria would come wipe out the northern kingdom. The Babylonians would come, wipe out the southern kingdom. Judgment will come to planet Earth. I promise you. And you guys know it's on the way. Now, it's kind of a good thing because we know that means it's a new heaven and a new earth, but we have to be ready. This is what he's saying to Isaiah. With arrows and bows, men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns, but it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. And so when we think of judgment, you know, we think of God judging the nations. Not every individual gets judged on this side of time, but every nation does. 
He will judge the world. But then you also think of hell, you guys. Hell. We think of the lake of fire. These are things that are real. And so my prayer is that there would be an urgency. Don't be like King Ahaz, who, you know, manipulated and he did his thing, you know. He, oh yeah, being all, all fake. No, be like Isaiah. Isaiah, he was convicted and God washed away his sins and then he raised his hand. He said, here am I, Lord. Do whatever you want to do in my life. First to salvation and then to service. So Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you. Will you answer? A lot of times I call you guys on the phone and you don't answer. And I'm like, man, they don't like me. <laughs> but you can't do that with God. I pray you wouldn't.